welcome to a brand new episode of I Know I Know a Solo Beatles podcast where we talk all things Solo Beatles and the Beatles for this case. Now today we have a very special guest. She is the co-host along with Allison Boron. Did I say that right? You did. Awesome. <laughs> of one of my favorite Beatles podcasts. I will, I will say it's in the top five. Um, she's the host of BC the Beatles, and her name is Erica White. Welcome to the show, Erica. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It, you are so welcome, and you are welcome back anytime. You haven't bitten anybody yet. <laughs> Not yet, <laughs> but the night is young. So, Erica, I just want to kind of get your background. Um, how, how did the Beatles podcasting charm hit you? Well, I've been a Beatles fan since I was eight. Um, Beatles obsession has been in my family, like we just talked about before we started recording. My grandfather was the guitar player for the Ed Sullivan Show and instilled in my dad a love of music, who instilled in me a love of music, and ever since I was very young, we were kind of obsessed with the Beatles together. And that kind that developed into writing about the Beatles and having my own Beatles website. And then I started writing for my co-host Allison's um, classic rock website called Rebeat. And from there, it just kind of snowballed. She and I started writing pieces, and then we started bringing those pieces to fests. And then after a while, we were like, we just love talking about the Beatles so much. We should just merge this writing stuff and our Beatles love into a podcast. So we started around 2018. So in the podcast world, we were kind of OG. So we've been around for like three years now. What were some of your favorite Beatle podcasts to listen to then? Oh, back then, that was a while ago. You know, there weren't nearly as many. There were, um, I've got a Beatles podcast. I remember I listened to them all the time. And things we said today were probably the two, you know, back then. But there were so few, so many fewer. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, things, things we said today was like the, the OG. For sure. Yeah. And at the time that we started, there really weren't any that were done by second or third generation fans. There were very few women in the space. So that was kind of our impetus was to bring something new to the space. And now three years later, there's, oh my God, so many Beatles podcasts. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, like, um, well, you have the queen of all Beatles media, of course. Oh, kiddo tool. Yeah. Well, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Queen. She is the queen. Long live the queen. Yeah, and we bow down to the queen. I love that woman. I love that woman. She's so fun to hang out with. Gotta go to a Chicago fest, hang out with Kato Tool. <laughs> um, I just want to jump into the news very quickly. Um, we obviously had the passings of Lizzie Bravo and Gaylene. Yeah. I can't remember her last name. Peace. Peace. Please, yeah. Lizzie's Bravo, Lizzie Bravo's death was such a shock. I know it came. It was sudden, and at least to the community. And you know, she was still in the final stages. Actually, she's very active in translating her book from Portuguese into English, and she was still working on it, hoping to get that out to everybody. So, 
Um, we're hoping that her daughter finishes that up for her because she's, got, she's left such a hole in our community. I'd actually co-responded with her two days. <gasps> oh my God. And she said that there were only like two pages left. Oh God. But, um, so it was, it was sudden for her too, it sounds like, that she was still very much intending to keep going with that and with yeah, light. This, yeah, this was like, a, oh my God, like we did, we did not expect this at all. Oh, so sad. We just, our last episode of BC the Beatles actually was with Sarah Schmidt. Do you know Sarah? I know of Sarah. We've never interacted. Oh, she's, she's great. She's another super fun person. Um, from Meet the Beatles for Real. And she she was pretty close friends with Lizzie. And so she came on to talk about her legacy and about the Apple Scruffs. And, it was great. Um, yeah. Oh, you've listened to it. Oh, cool. <laughs> so glad you did. <laughs> I was like, oh, new episode. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I literally spent all my time listening to Beatles podcasts. Oh, well, there's a lot, there's a lot to do to choose from now. What are some of your favorites? Or maybe you don't want to name names on the show. <laughs> well, we see the Beatles, things we said today, Fab Four, Free for All, I Like Two Legs, um, When They Was Fab. There's a lot more. but So many. I love um, the She Loves You podcast. Um, have you heard of that one? Oh, you know what? I think I follow them on Instagram, but I don't know if I've heard any episodes. I'll definitely listen to them, though. Um, she Said, She Said also... Mm -hmm. It's great. Um, speaking of that, um, Shades of Life Part 1 has been released. Hooray! Go get a copy. Um, go support Jude. Great book. I'm already almost 200 pages into it. <laughs> and y you may get, you may recognize the name uh, of somebody, or well, maybe another person here too in the acknowledgement section, which was a big honor. And we thank you, Jude. It, for sure, it definitely is. And for anybody watching, just not like in the dark for fun, I podcast from my closet. Good thing it's only audio. <laughs> oh, okay, because you showed the book, so I thought maybe <laughs> you were I, doing I, a video I, cast. <laughs> oh, <With> gotcha. <laughs> I'm not, I won't put a scare on you like that. <laughs> oh, it's fine. <laughs> Whatever we gotta do. So, jumping into our topic, the Beatles and politics. Yeah, this is a fun one. Yeah. Um, now, we are not going to be the old... Pe most people would be like, Oh, the Beatles didn't have any involvement in politics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, as we know, that's obviously not true. Um, we also don't want to hear my impression of an angry Italian man. <laughs> I mean, maybe we do. <laughs> Just listen to Tom Hunyadi talk. It'll give you enough of it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, if you don't know, I, I'm a political junkie, aside from the Beatles Nice. Yes. So this I gathered that from what we were talking about before when we were chatting about the episode, yeah. which is good. Yes. I, I, I like my politics. Um, <laughs> so um, 
going back, obviously, I mean, to the early, like, early in the 60s, I mean, the Beatles didn't play in segregated audiences. I mean, doing research, that was, like, the first act that did that, like, was like, we're not doing this. Yeah, um, John actually said he thought he felt that the, they'd rather lose any of their appearance money than ever play in a segregated environment. And I mean, you can imagine that that would be their their mindset. I mean, if you think about England and the UK, I mean, it's more class wars than race wars in one thing. So they probably just didn't see the racial divide in the same way that Americans did. And then you think about their earlier days, especially in Hamburg and, you know, their influence. They adored black artists in the U.S. They were they were their idols. They played with them. Little Richard, you know, Billy Preston, he met him back in the Hamburg days. I'm sure they thought, thought it was just atrocious to even consider that, which is, is wonderful. And, you know, I think that, you know, one, one thing that I felt as I was researching this topic was that, at least from my political standpoint, sometimes they're less into politics than just you know, being a good person and human rights and standing up for you know what's yeah, good in the world. Shouldn't be political. Right, right. Being anti-racist shouldn't be a political act, but it is. Being anti-gun violence shouldn't be a political act, but it is. I am sorry to the people listening to this, but if, if you are not anti-gun i don't know how you're a beatles fan i'm sorry I, I, but i don't <laughs> i 100 percent agree i don't understand it i mean if you haven't experienced gun violence personally this is as close as somebody might have gotten but it's very personal to beatles fans i mean look at john it's horrific was stabbed almost stabbed to death and that took years off his life i mean yeah i will bet you money that if george wasn't stabbed there's a good possibility he would still be alive today yeah that really weakened him and made his his last fights really too hard for him it's yeah. awful um moving into the, you know the later years with them we look into hippie culture you know, yeah, pro drugs, which something the Beatles, I mean, peace and love, no guns, no drugs. I mean, yeah, certainly, certainly they had their flower power days, which kind of morphed into, you know, that was about about the time that they were very anti-war, that genre revolution. Yeah, my favorite Beatles song is Revolution. Interesting. Is it really? Yes, at, at the moment. I know it's it's hard. Some you do have to switch around sometimes. What's your favorite at the moment? At the moment, it's two of us. I've been so immersed in Abbey Road and Let It Be, and I've just always loved that song. And the way it that Giles mixed it is just so beyond what it even was, and it was one of my favorite back then. So I could, uh, I could listen to that for days. Yeah, I mean, and. If you go to 66, I mean, George is writing Taxman. You can obviously tell that he is not happy with the high taxes in England at the time because he doesn't 
want to pay the money, which I mean. Yeah. And also piggies. So he had kind of had that theme running through. And then I Me Mine is also very similar vein. Yeah. I Me Mine's less enjoyable, though. <laughs> well, he's certainly complaining. I'm sorry. I don't know what they were thinking. I mean, look at the material on All Things Was Past. It does not compare to anything that is. I know. I am really hoping that there is something in the six hour film where we see them hearing all things must pass and being like, yeah, we'll save it. Like, what, what are you thinking? <laughs> like, I'm guessing Paul was like, yeah, all things must stay. <laughs> <laughs> if that happens in the film, I'm going to pay you 10 bucks. I mean, that's hilarious. <laughs> look at, look at Paul and um, guitar players. I mean, he can't keep one for more than 10 years. Except for I know. But yeah, well, he's not even a guitar player. Well, the the famous fight in the original Let It Be certainly illustrates the way Paul was a bit controlling over anybody who played any instrumentation on any of his songs. Yeah, because I mean, if you look at the artists that he worked with in the past, it, it seems like not a lot of them still like around speaking terms yeah that is that is definitely true like, i can't think of one like elvis costello is not as far as i know and um denny lane does not speak with him as far as i know <laughs> um but um and i was gonna say uh you don't see lawrence talking about him meeting paul no, I always wondered if there was some kind of embargo, just generally speaking, but no, because like Steve Holly and like there's other Wings members who are out there talking about their time. But Denny, Denny Lane, Sewell still talks to Paul. Okay. Yeah. Which, Denny's a great guy. And I think back, in, I think that first lineup allowed more freedom. And I think Paul got more conservative throughout the years about what he wanted. And I think that's what made Ram such a good record. Yeah. Ram was really one of the best. What, what's your favorite? And then I think his control got a little bit too crazy, though, because then if you jump 10, 12 years later to give my regards to Broad Street, you need a, he, need, he needs some kind of balance, I think, in his, in his songwriting. Like, that's why he and John work so well together. Yeah. What, what is the favorite Paul McCartney solo album at the moment? Oh, God. Favorite at the moment? See, that's tough because, like, I love the Beatles. I do, but Paul is, like, Paul is my dude. And Paul's solo career is, is really my jam. So that's, that's a hard one. But, uh, I mean, Ram is a classic. I love the original McCartney. I love Chaos and Creation. <laughs> I play that like three times a week. It's it's really one of my top albums of all time, Chaos and Creation. I love it so much. I really do like McCartney 3, and I also like McCartney 3 plus McCartney 3 Imagined. Oh, interesting. I think some of those, the ways that some of those those songs came out was, it enhanced the album itself, which I really like. But don't get me started on that deep fake, Paul. I do not like that. Oh, hmm. yeah. 
I do not like that. <laughs> it's so that is terrifying. I mean, speaking of politics, right? If you can do that for entertainment, you can do that for world affairs, and it's terrifying to me. Yes, I mean, what's next? A deep fake Barack Obama? They have done it. Yeah. I've seen it. It's horrifying. Like you could deep fake anybody. I mean, so deep fake is like should be like government. It really should. It's it's way beyond like animation and motion graphics. It's it's yeah, because you can be very evil with it. I'm gonna be controversial with my pick for my favorite McCartney record. It has to go be for back it. To the egg. Back to the egg, really? Yes. That is an unusual choice, but you know what? I can. There are some really awesome awesome songs on there. But tell me why back to the egg? Because it is an unusual choice. Well, I think that had the best band that he's ever worked with i think lawrence is the most number one asset that he has had and the fact that he dropped him was ridiculous i think that now did he drop lawrence or did wings just kind of disband wings just kind of disbanded but i think that he let lawrence the fact that he let lawrence off the hook i mean lawrence has done amazing work but i would do anything to see them do a show together i'm actually surprised at that because you would think the two of them would really want to be like guitar nerds together yeah you know the, the, just Lawrence's technique is just flawless and yes. so beautiful and he's so intense when he plays uh, i just i love yeah <laughs> allison teases me that i have a huge crush on Lawrence, and maybe she's right <laughs> <laughs> super fan Totally super fan. I was at a Beatle Fest and he was there. It's like, oh my God, it's Lawrence. He's so good. I'm just going to gaze at him play guitar. She's like, go talk to him. It's like, no. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> His poor wife. None of this happened in view of anybody except me and Allison. <laughs> no, I, I interviewed him once and was not an, an idiot fan girl. I'll promise. Good. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. I've done that a few times. With who? We just spoke of him. Ah. <laughs> oh, I did not breathe that entire interview. It was like my first interview, time interviewing anybody. Well, I thought the conversation flowed really nicely, so oh, it you. didn't, you couldn't tell. You couldn't tell. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so moving back into the Beatles with politics. Yeah. Just, I think that, um, Revolution one represents it more. If you uh, is that in or out? Like, is um, that? I'm sorry. Is that you can count me in or you can count me out? Like, um, I think that you can count me out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always think that's interesting that he wrote the song with kind of an alternate version, but I really feel like "Count Me Out" is more his his personal feeling. But, um, and I don't love Revolution 1 anyways, but, like, I feel like that has more of a political meaning. Because Revolution is just him, like, yelling at a guitar. Yeah, that's true, that's true. It's um, more of a, like, a Shredder song. Which I think was the best B-side ever writ, the least. Um, but, um, you just look at it, and you can tell that he's angry. Then if you look at Abbey Road... The song, You Never Give Me Your Money, 
I've always thought that maybe, you know, it's Paul talking about the government. It's possible that he's talking about tax man, sure. I mean, especially because Paul, he's he can be very opaque about what exactly his songs are about. Yeah. And I know that some theories are that it was about Alan Klein, but in a way that almost seems too obvious. Yeah, because um, we, we know Abco is... Yeah, to say the very least. We, we, don't, we don't like Alan Klein. No, we do not. We do not. And Paul felt the same. Alan D. Klein. <laughs> nice. Um, nice, nice, nice. <laughs> and then moving in, I mean, you had the live piece in Toronto. I mean, he was always just so active. Like, yeah, well, I mean, if you think about John and his political trajectory, you know, first he was, you know, first there was the non-segregated audience. He was very adamant about that. And then he got his own taste of American politics with the bigger than Jesus outcry and the burning of the records and having to make a public apology because of the violence that, you know, was spawned on by race relation issues in the U.S. So he, you know, he, by the time that happened by the time you know he met Yoko and he was getting more political he'd seen a lot of negative politics in his day and he was always already pretty subversive yeah because as a person like American politics like they're very we're very divided now mm-hmm um, and I think this brings up a question is if Kennedy wasn't assassinated and America wasn't in the, the darkest time, would the Beatles have been so big? You know, I probably not in the same cathartic way that it had happened. Because I do, you know, it, it might be, I think it's probably an over-exaggeration that the, the connection between Kennedy and the Beatles, because the Beatles were already spawning Beatlemania type attitudes elsewhere in the world. So the Beatles already, you know, it, it wasn't 100% an effect of that. But I do think that there was such a national mourning period that this was just an ex the explosion that would have been was probably even, even bigger than it would have been because there was just finally something both joyous and not tragic you know, because, you know, some people criticized it, called the Beatles frivolous, hated their music. But at the same time, it wasn't a presidential death. You know, there was something to get very emotional about wh whichever way you felt about them. And I think that was probably a contributing factor to the, the craziness that happened around that time. Yes. On the other hand, the Beatles were the Beatles and spawned, you know, masses of screaming teenagers wherever they they went at that point i mean because i mean that was i mean now i hate to say we're kind of used to a big event like that kind of happening with um one six yeah um, mm -hmm. um, yeah you never thought an insurrection would be something that just happened but it did ringo's ep never excited me that much <laughs> <laughs> 
one thing to look forward to. <laughs> oh my god. I remember when you guys were like, well, we kind of forgot to review it. And then we didn't record for six months. Yeah. That happened. Yeah. So we're not going to continue that. We're not going to review it. But if we're going to talk about Ringo in politics, he was actually the first Beatle that had any connection with American politics, even before the, um, the segregated audience thing. Um, there was a, you know, mock campaign, but there was quite um, a, a groundswell of Ringo for President style ads. There was a song that, that was written, a parody song called We Want Ringo for President. Yeah. Um, which is really funny yeah um, i could i could i could see how after all of that uh strife and pain the idea of ringo star 1964 ringo star is your president makes you smile i i don't know how i would feel about like doing the whole like only eating vegetables but um <laughs> probably try to pass that he might, he might. Though, though, he went home early from from Rishikesh because he didn't like the food in India. <laughs> yeah. So maybe he'd be more open-minded about dietary choices. Yes. Which was probably a reminder <laughs> that I should be more open about my dietary choices. But, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but, looking into John's solo career, if you look, listen to I mean, sometime in New York City, boom, politics. I'm yeah. Hard. Well, uh, that that was a crazy time for John because he he had he had met Yoko. She was already an activist, and then in 1971, the Nixon government got super paranoid about the idea that John Lennon was subverting their Vietnam efforts and started, you know, tapping his phone and. Gave him a four and a half year fight for his citizenship. Like, they really messed with him. Yeah, and I mean, Richard Nixon is a not. <laughs> um, well, not as nutty as you know who, but. Um, yes, agreed. <laughs> um, if you look at it, um, so, ba I mean, basically, he was just anti-Beatles, and, um, you know, also going back, this reminds me of, I mean, when Elvis was, became aware of the Beatles, there's been kind of things circulating that I've been seeing that Elvis went to Kennedy to try to not allow them to come into the country. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Do you know anything more about that? I've never heard that. It's just, I've never, like, heard it. I don't know if it's an old wives' tale, but, like, I've heard it, but I could see that, because, I mean, Elvis didn't want anything to do with the Beatles, really, if you think about it. Well, I mean, in that, that back then, I mean, it's it's like he was supplanting, El the Beatles were supplanting Elvis in the pop the popularity and the screaming and the teenage girls i mean it was like you know it was a, probably a symbol for elvis that the world was moving on there's something else too yeah now erica i, I want to give you a chance to plug your podcast 
before I move into discussion because I will forget. Sure. My podcast is called BC the Beatles or Because the Beatles. You can find us at that handle on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, we are podcasting right now weekly. We spend a lot of time obsessing over Paul McCartney and um, we have some wonderful Yes, and Lawrence Tuber. Yes, of course. And um, we have some recent episodes with some wonderful guests. Like uh, earlier this month, we talked to the fabulous Giles Martin. And last week, we talked to the equally fabulous Sarah Schmidt of Meet the Beatles for Real. So check us out and um, come join our community on Instagram or Facebook. Yeah. At BC the Beatles. It is well worth the experience. And sometimes they're hilarious and sometimes they're dead serious it, it's good it's always we swear a lot just yes. we do <laughs> if you, if you, yes <laughs> but that's okay. i'm trying to keep it clean for this podcast <laughs> no worries <laughs> we are free spirits here great <laughs> um and now i want to talk about this I'm going to ask you a question because this is okay. very much a political Beatles-based question. Would Eric Clapton, if our friend George was still alive, would he, him and Eric have had a falling out at this point? Yes. Yes, I do think so. I think that the anti-vax stuff, I mean, Eric Clapton has gotten weirder and weirder and weirder as time has gone on, but... Being an anti-vax individual is one of the, again, it's one of those things where that should not be political, but it is. Saving lives and people not dying and taking a vaccine, that should not be political. And I truly 100% believe that even though taking his wife and marrying his wife didn't make George hate Eric Clapton. I do feel like being on the side of let them all die, that would have ruptured that, that relationship if nothing else had earlier. I'm, well, you know, I've, there's, I've had, a lot of people have this theory that George and Eric were really secret lovers. Really? I have not heard that. I've kind of I wouldn't be up. surprised. I mean, oh, <laughs> if you I look, wouldn't be surprised if you look at it. I mean, I'm sorry, but I would not want to be friends with Eric because I mean, he he's a guitar god. Yes, he is, but he's also a crazy asshole. Sorry, yes. I did curse. It, can't can't not. Um. <laughs> but he's he's crazy. He is crazy. And he's mean. He's a mean guy. Like, um, our, I'm sure you've heard of a doctor, well, Kenneth Womack. Of course, we had. He was one of our first guests in our podcast. I love Ken. Oh my gosh, Ken, Ken is like the gnome king. I mean, have, have you seen? The no. Oh, does he have gnomes? Yes. I have I have. I I don't have gnomes because I only have 300 square feet of apartment. So I don't have much of anything <laughs> that's physical. You, you did not buy the gnomes. He did not. He did, but you did. Oh, he did. 
I didn't, I haven't, no, I did not find them. If you had more space, would you? If I had a garden, I'm sure I would have a gnome or two in my garden. Yes. Like the George Harrison gnomes? Of course. They're so cute. I know. <laughs> Hashtag gnomes for the queen. Oh my god, I love it. Wait, do you mean the queen queen or do you mean Kit? Both. Okay, of course. That, that was a social media trend for a day. I love it. I love it. I love it. And my favorite thing about Ken, and this is totally not a Beatles thing, but have you seen the musical Annie, the like the old one from the 80s? Well, anyway, even if you haven't, I'm a musical theater nut. And I and that was one of my favorite movies of all time. And when we went to the White Album Symposium, which Ken had been hosting at Monmouth University, he casually mentioned oh by the way this is the house that annie was filmed in yeah and i had an absolute freak out because i didn't i didn't see it and then he took me around and i will be forever grateful to ken yeah. also you know being a wonderful man and a beatles genius and such a wonderful scholar for showing me the annie house yes but yeah because he talked to, um i think they talked to uh, bobby white lies um Whit whitlock um, <laughs> um, Damn. Uh, about um, getting Eric on the show, Eric for the book, and then he said, "Absolutely not. No way he allow it." Yeah, like Eric and like Mike Love. Like there are a couple of folks in that in the, the world of like no, never. There's just a line. I mean, Brian Wilson maybe schizophrenic. He's a nice enough guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Brian Wilson and like Mike Love, Eric Clapton, like there's no, they are not on the same playing field as far as like horrible people, even not even close. Yeah. Ugh. People. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and Eric really like he, he really stepped over the line with the anti-vax, you know, he was awful. He was an awful human being. He was clearly that the stories were out there, but being anti-vax is like being awful to millions of strangers in addition to just your personal circle. It's just it. terrible. At least he took it. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm happy for him and everybody around him that he did take it. Yeah. It's probably not getting the booster, but hey. Yeah. I think if you've got at least some of it, you're going to be okay. Yeah. For now. And whatever side effects he had or whatever he thought he had, he did live through it. So coming out the other end and still being anti-vax is, I don't know, that just, that reeks of a privilege to me that you have obviously not known people who had gotten COVID and experienced that. Yeah. And do you think um, John would be, where would John be on the political spectrum these days? You know, I think John... There's this thing out there, and I think it's wrong, that, oh, John was secretly a Reagan Republican the last year of his life, and he would have been, he would have turned Republican. And I don't think that's correct in any way. I think that John probably wasn't thrilled with the, the Carter pre presidency. A lot of people were not. And even if he did say something like, oh, I would support Reagan, like Reagan back then wasn't the same Reagan as when he became president. He was like, he was actually a liberal actor 
before he was, you know, a governor and became a Republican. So I think that that one off the cuff uh, moment from somebody who, you know, is, is known to have lied and stolen some of John's personal possessions too. So somebody who's not exactly trustworthy was the source of that. The guy with um, a really bad last name. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember his his full name, but Let's do I it. have it? Right. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> great, great name. Um, yeah. So you know that's probably not credible. I think John John got very into political activism, and he did step back from that later. He did say that. He, he kind of regretted how far down the line toward, you know, people who were violent. He, he kind of got involved with that crowd. He didn't, he wasn't pleased with that. So I think he would have been very much just a, a liberal pacifist. I'm sure he and Yoko would still have been doing performance art for political causes. You know, I think that you know, she's still doing a lot of the same art exhibits right now, like the art, the exhibit she's doing up in, uh, I think, Vancouver has some of the performance art pieces that she would have done back then. And it also is like a retrospective of John and Yoko's political activism as seen as artwork, which is very exciting. Um, so I think that he probably would have continued along that line. I think he would have been a liberal. I'm sure he would have spoken out for Obama. You know, I don't, Probably Clinton before Clinton got problematic back when people liked Clinton in the early 90s, very early 90s. Clinton, he's got, he's got his flaws, but I think he was good for what, good for what, before all the scandals. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, like, you have to divorce what he did politically from who he was as a person in order to, you know, appreciate his political legacy. I think right now, historically, we're kind of going through a period where we're re-examining his legacy as a person. And so he's maybe a little seen a little bit less favorable right now. But you know, that might that might balance out. I don't know. Like the the Lewinsky Clinton scandal is very, very problematic to me. But I'm still glad that he was the president at that time. He was certainly the president that we needed at the time. The country was prosperous and, you know, people, even even when Hillary was running, they're saying, can we just have Bill? You know, I, I knew a lot of people who had that sentiment. Yeah. If you look at him, um, I, I think that, uh, like, Carter, I think a lot of people have really come to appreciate not as president, but as He's almost the opposite of Clinton in that we're, we get to know so much about Carter now is like what a good person he is and, you know, and still is and humanitarian and, you know. Mm. Yeah. I, okay. Okay, right. So what I was saying was that Carter's kind of the anti-Clinton that, you know, everyone was really disappointed in his presidency, but as he's gotten older and we've gotten further away from it, we're seeing who he was as a person and really appreciate him for that kind humanitarian person that he is. Yeah, which is a good thing, I think, in the, in the long run. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, people people are complicated, and you can't. And same with with John himself. You can't judge John solely on his peace activism. You can't judge him solely on his his darker moments. Yeah, and I think that goes for most regular day to day people. I mean, J John. This is the reason why John. I would say John is my favorite. Is he has his flaws, but he and he understands it. Yeah, he got what it's like to be a, a regular old guy. Yeah, kind of likes to hide that stuff away. Well, I have a slightly different take on Paul. Paul's brand of authenticity. Maybe I'll call it that. I think for John, John was very real and it was clear that he was always searching. And I think people really identify with the way he searched and, and he he was very warts and all and he didn't he didn't mind being that way. Paul is kind of the opposite. He's he's also, I think, a searcher. But he is not words and all. He hides his searching in metaphor. And so I still think that, to me at least, there is an authenticity there with Paul as well, but it's certainly not as raw and it's certainly not at the surface. Yeah. Um, going into George, um, do you think he would have gone out and campaigned, and come, like, just come out of the public eye in general if he had survived cancer? Because, I mean... He kind of pulled Joe English in the 90s. Yeah, I think George, I mean, George was never really, other than like Taxman and Piggies, which are political statements, but are also just kind of him being angry um, about like things in his world. I think he was just much more of a spiritual person than a political person. So I think similar to some of the other things that we talked about, like, you know, being anti-racist. I think George would have spoken out when his spiritual beliefs aligned with something that is considered political in the mainstream. But I think more, he wouldn't have been an active, like political um, spokesperson. I don't think he would have done that. But I, because I think he wanted to, I, I don't think he liked politics. I think he liked to kind of step back and think more about God and, you know, a different, a different plane of existence. But, you know, he certainly lived a life that espoused certain political values. Like, um, you know, like all four Beatles stopped eating meat after a while. And I think that that. John, John even did. Yeah. Yeah. They were macrobiotic. He and Yoko and they weren't, they didn't eat meat for a good deal of the seventies. So, you know, and, and I think that while that is only a political issue on certain levels, it does speak to probably the kind of, of values that you have on the whole, whether it's, you know, animal rights reasons or environmental reasons. I, yeah, I agree with you. Um, going back to, uh, what was I gonna say? I mean, I would have think that with um, what's happened, definitely with the um, say Oompa Loompa, um, <laughs> um, uh, 
I think that George would have definitely spoken out. Well, his estate did. Do you remember that? Um, when it was at one of one of the the rallies in 2016 that oh, it was the Republican National Convention, and the RNC used the song "Here Comes the Sun." for Ivanka Trump's walkout. And they did it without permission. And they, I mean, it sounded like it was coming from George himself, because first they said something like, you know, you, can't, you should never have used Here Comes the Sun, it's offensive, and we don't, ex- we don't accept that. But then they said something like, if it had been Beware of Darkness, we might have approved it. So, you know, they, I think George would have been 100% on board with that. I mean, Trump is just he's such a disgusting individual that personally, politically, I think he just goes against the sensibilities of people who care, you know, actively care about human rights and humanity and your fellow man. And yeah, it's just it's it's hard to be both of those things. Yeah. And of course, Paul wrote the song about him, so we know where Paul stood on that. Let's talk about that song. I think All right. that is one of very few highlights on Egypt Station. Yeah, I agree. I don't remember. The thing about Egypt Station is that I don't remember most of Egypt Station, and I remember that song very well. So you don't like Egypt Station very much? It's not that I don't like it. There are very few Paul albums I actively don't like. Like, I really don't like Memory Almost Full for some reason. I just don't. Is that hard? Is that hard to hear? Sorry. Is like my second favorite. Really, I've never been able to get into it. Like, it's not. I don't know what it is about that album. I just don't love it. Yeah. Like, I mean, Dance Tonight. It's like. Okay, I like Dance Tonight. I like Ever Present Past, and I like Mr. Bellamy. But the rest of it is like I could probably. Well, okay. Only Mama Knows isn't bad either. Okay, so maybe I don't. I don't hate it. Which one? Vintage clothes. Yeah, I don't love vintage clothes. I don't love that was me. I don't love the end of the end. But if Lawrence played on it, you would. Probably yes. Yes. I mean Lawrence can literally play anything and it's perfect. Yes. Well, if he played at a Trump rally, it wouldn't be okay. But otherwise it would be okay. Yeah. Cause um going back to despite repeated warnings, I mean the captain Ugh. he was mad. He was bad, and that that line about lock him up was just so brilliantly crafted. Based, you know, considering what everybody was saying about Hillary at the time, and the way he inserted it into that song, and the second part of it that's like coming from the point of view of like the people, like I just it was it was up there for me with like an Uncle Albert style Paul McCartney story song. And I loved the political message. I wish there had been more public publicity around the song. Yeah, I, w- um, yeah, like I would have liked to see. Because uh, I mean, everybody was like laughing about it. Like I think Hillary made a comment about it, and she was like, "This is awesome." <laughs> I mean, I would have done that if I was in the media when it, Egypt Station was released. Like. It's great. I listened to Egypt Station, and I didn't even buy it until like this year. 
Really? Because I did not like it. Like this. this well, at least it got it got a sale this year, so that's good. You gave it a yeah. sale. I mean, I, this year I finally bought all of the McCartney albums on CD or vinyl. Like that nice. Was, was on my bucket list. <laughs> You've got a lot to listen to. Did you go all the way deep? Like, did you get like the Fireman album and like those albums? And um, like, I didn't sell my kidney, so no. Okay, all right. I, I mean, um, Rushes goes for like eight hundred bucks on CD. What? Really? Oh my god. Yeah, it's crazy. wow. So, Erica, this has been a fun discussion. So it has. tell us again how we can find you and what you're up to. Sure. So you can find me and my podcast at BC the Beatles everywhere on social. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Beetlepedal. And uh, let's see. Yeah. So anywhere you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are. We love to hear from people. So if you listen to our podcast and want to talk to us, please like send us a comment dm bc the beatles at gmail.com and uh yeah we hope to be podcasting for quite a few years to come and right now we're in the middle of a let it be series so everything that we're doing this fall is about let it be or is let it be adjacent next week we're going to be talking about the yoko versus linda battle royale in let it be Yeah, let us know what you think. We should have you on sometime soon, too. Oh, I would love that. Allison will be on soon. Hopefully. Nice. Yes. If she ever answers my message. She will. She will. <laughs> oh. So you can find me here, there, and everywhere. But that's... I, yes. I, I haven't made many puns this episode. And that was the first one. It's um, good. I like it. I mean, you should keep it in your tagline all the time. It's great. <laughs> so, um, you can email me, solobeatlespodcast at gmail.com. If you send it to one of the old addresses that I put in the description, I'll get it someday. But, um, <laughs> solobeatlespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, P2 Podcast with Lose My Harrison Show. You can find, um, we did the episode with Walmart and Krupa, somewhat recent, and uh, you can hear me everywhere, and you can listen to my radio show anytime at all on Mixcloud. So thank you, Erica, again for coming. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.